Amen. Thank you to the praise team. Well, I'm excited. We're starting a new series today uh, on the book of Daniel that, uh, Lord willing, will take us to Advent, all the way until Christmas. So that's coming up, believe it or not. Uh, it'll, we'll be in Daniel for a, a little while here. Hence, you can, cha- you can see that the blocks that were up here from our summer sermon series are gone. And, and now I feel like Daniel in the lion's den, right? This is what, that's the idea. So I'm uh, excited to get into Daniel. Uh, the series is called, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. How many remember the kids' song? He's got the whole world. Almost everybody, right? Uh, he's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. What a wonderful truth we, we taught our kids with that song. That God has, is ultimately the one who is in control. And I think that really is the theme, the big idea for the entire book of Daniel. Today we're just going to cover chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, which really talks about how God is working in any and all situations. He's working in any and in every situation. If we listen, if we sort of look for it, wait sometimes for it, uh, ask the question, what are you doing in this situation, God? God's always working. Uh, Jesus himself said that. He said, my Father is working until now, and I am also working. God is always at work. There's, there's, a t- there's never a time which God is not doing something in the world. Now we may question that and, and different, different circumstances we face make us wonder, is God really at work uh, in this situation? Is God really at work in this place on this planet? Is God really interested in me and my small, little, tiny individual life among seven billion people? And the answer we get in the Bible and in the scripture is consistently, yes, absolutely. God is at work there and with you individually. And it's a little bit of a lengthier quote, but I want to start with a quote by uh, a man by the name of uh, Ian Duguid. He's, he's uh, Mike's, one of Mike's professors, so I don't know if I'm getting that name right. You have to ask Mike. But he said this, during its hardest moments, life often seems out of control. Our fate may sometimes seem to lie in the hands of hostile people or in the outworking of impersonal forces of one kind or another. Yet the reality is that our every experience in this world, from the apparently coincidental at one end of the spectrum to the determined acts of wicked men and women on the other, lies under the control of of our sovereign God. The sparrow does not fall to the ground without his permission which demonstrates that even the most trivial of events are within his view. Everything that we experience in life, no matter how difficult or apparently meaningless it may seem, is God's purpose for us. For believers in Christ, each circumstance is the Lord's means of furthering his sanctifying goals. Yes. Yes, that is exactly what Daniel is going to teach us. I think that God remains in control, is at work in our lives. And I think this is a timely message for us specifically. Uh, one, because there's a lot going on in our world. We have these hurricanes that are hitting uh, us down in the, uh, Houston and now in Florida. Uh, we have this whole issue going on with North Korea and their testing of these hydrogen bombs. We have a lot going on in the church in the West and particularly in the United States and its decline in membership. We think of our own church and all the stuff going on here and individual lives in our congregation. We, we, you heard from the, the prayer list. There's a lot going on a good reminder to us that God is at work in every and all situations. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Uh, you can read on with me in, uh, on the screen if you'd like. There's a Bible in the pew. You can write in your bulletin. The scripture is there as well. So we're just getting started. We read this. In the third year 
of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were, and here's the list of names here, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. The Lord is at work in any and all situations. There's a breakdown in your bulletin if you want to follow along. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, that God is at work in times of tragedy. Second, that God is working in various places and people. And then we'll look at God is working in surprising circumstances. A very surprising circumstance there in Daniel. And certainly in surprising circumstances today in our own lives. So first, God is working in times of tragedy. Verses 1 and 2. The book begins with an event. It begins with the defeat of Israel by the Babylonians. It says this happens during the third year of Jehoiakim. He's the king of Judah. The northern kingdom of Judah. This is in the... This is, uh, a long time ago. The book of Daniel was written probably in the 6th century BC. Uh, the northern kingdom has, has already fallen. The southern kingdom now is about to fall to the, peop- the, the kingdom of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world at the time, unquestionably, besieges Jerusalem, which is the capital city. The king himself is captured. Uh, We do learn from Josephus, an outside source, that he is killed. He is dethroned before the walls without any burial. A very disgraceful end to King Jehoiakim. Uh, The temple is plundered. All the vessels from the temple are taken out and taken to Babylon. And they are put in a pagan temple. In these temples to the Babylonian gods. Probably Marduk, Bel, or Nebo. Those are the, the, the height of the Babylonian gods. This is tragic. This is tragic for Israel. Lives have been lost. Many lives. Hearts are broken. A a sense that God has has failed them. They're they're exiled from the land that they've treasured for so long. Their temple, of all places that should be safe, right? That God should protect would be their temple. Has been plundered and brought into a pagan god. The vessels into a pagan god. There's a sense of grief, of loss, of hopelessness. Now, a few things you have to say about this before we apply it to us. A few things to put this in perspective. Uh, God warned Israel that this was going to happen. <laughs> in fact, if you read much of the Old Testament, the, the Friday morning men's group are starting a series on Ezekiel. Uh, that's pretty daring. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a Bible study that did Ezekiel. So that's pretty, pretty bold. But if you read the book of Ezekiel or Jeremiah, I recently read Jeremiah, all of it is, is warnings about this very thing, that if you continue on in your sin, Israel, this is what's going to happen. 
Not only that, the northern kingdom, as we said, has already fallen in the same way to the Assyrians because they continued in their idolatry. They fell. We learn that the king himself, Jehoiakim, was not a good guy. This is what we learn about Jehoiakim from 2 Kings 23. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zabida, the daughter of Padiah and of Rumah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Not a good guy. And God didn't just bring this judgment out of nowhere. He warned and he warned and he warned and he warned and finally he brought judgment. In the same way he does the same for us. God says the day will come when we will have to answer for our lives. The day will come when we'll stand before God. Do you have a Savior in Jesus? Also understand that no matter what, God is still God. And this is a good reminder for them and for us. Uh, He doesn't need a temple. He's not like these Babylonian gods of Marduk, Bel, and Nebo. He doesn't need a temple to be worshipped. He's the God of everywhere. In fact, when Solomon built the temple, what did he say? Heaven is your throne. The earth is a footstool. What kind of house would I build for you? God doesn't need the land. He's at work in the whole of the universe, in all of the earth, among all of the nations. But these Babylonian gods are not gods at all, but God is the true God over all. And friends, also, it's a reminder to them that their ultimate hope should never have been in the land. It should never have been in the temple, even. It should have been in the coming Messiah. Just like for us, friends, our hope is not in this world and setting up a perfect life. Here, our hope is in Christ's return, ultimately. But not only that, friends, God uses tragedy to speak to us. Sometimes it's his most loud and clear way to speak to us. C.S. Lewis, the famous uh, writer, said, pain is God's megaphone, famously. It's his megaphone to get attention. He says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God uses suffering and difficulty and hardship, turning it to good in our lives. We see this again in the New Testament, James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Or Romans chapter 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. God is able to use suffering and difficulty. He's not the author of evil, but He's able to take evil and use it for His purposes, for our good, and for His glory. Friends, God is still working in times of tragedy. As we see in these first two verses, God's not done with Israel. He's just getting warmed up. He's got a lot still to go. And so it's true of us, friends. God is still at work in the midst of of national or international tragedies. Like we've seen recently with Harvey and Irma. Going back to September 11th, which again, the anniversary of it is tomorrow. The Boston Marathon, God takes these things and he has a way of of turning it and using it for good, as tragic and as difficult as these situations may be. And I think, friends, all of them, in a sense, work as a sort of wake-up call for all of us. Now, understand, it's not one-to-one. I I think you you hear these people saying that that, that this hurricane is God's particular judgment on, on Houston because of 
their mayor and what, what she did with this, this whole uh, restricting different sermons or you hear the other side of things that uh, the hurricanes are, are, are a judgment on our country for the election or something like that. I, I would say far clear of any of that. What I would say is this. Every tragedy is an opportunity for us to look inward and recognize, are we ready to meet God? In fact, we'll get this from Jesus. Jesus had a couple of tragedies happen uh, during his uh, time there in Israel. One of them was Pilate, Pontius Pilate, actually killed a bunch of people. He mixed their blood with the sacrifices they were offering. It's a horrible situation. Another one was a tower fell and killed a number of people. And so people come to Jesus and say, what does this mean? And this is Jesus' response, Luke 13, 1 to 5. There was some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? That's what some of these people say, right? It must have been really bad there. That's why this is happening. Jesus answered, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He uses an opportunity to point to them, for us to point to ourselves and say, are we ready to meet God? Are we prepared? Friends, I also say when it comes to personal tragedies in our congregation, understand that God can use it for good in his time and his way. Health struggles or job or money issues, marriage problems or grief over the loss of a loved one, God has a way of turning it and using it for good and for his glory in the end. We had a, a perfect example of this just recently in our congregation. Uh, Dennis DeGenero, we, we, as you know, um, is now in the hospital preparing for open heart surgery. Um, before that, what happened was he had an issue with his identity being stolen. If anyone's ever had that happen, that's terrible. I've had that happen to me in, in two different occasions. Or, well, one occasion some, I, I, somebody stole a wallet, my wallet and used it. Another occasion somebody stole my identity up in Niagara Falls. Uh, it happens, right? People say it's just a frustrating thing. And because of that, it happened to Dennis and Donna. And so Dennis was heading to the police department to file the report. Well, he was on his way there. He was having chest pains. And it was at the police department that he informed them that he was having these chest pains. They said, let's check this out. And found out that he was having a heart attack and brought him to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Darcy this, this week and I said, it, it's at least possible that this guy who stole their identity saved his life. Think about that. Yes, God has a way of turning evil in, and ultimately using it for good. What do you do when you face these struggles? Breathe. Pray. And ask God, God, what are you doing? Help me to understand. Help me to endure through this. Help me to see your plan. Help me to wait on you. And I also say, do what you can. Uh, recognize that there are some things that are completely outside of your control, like a hurricane, for example. But do what you can. It's like the prayer I said earlier, the, the famous serenity prayer. I know a lot of NA and AA use, use the serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr. I think it's a beautiful prayer for all of us. Uh, how does it go? Grant, God grant me the serenity, the peace to accept the things that can, I cannot change. There, there are some things beyond my control and the best thing for me to do is to simply let it go. The courage to change the things that I can. If there's something God wants me to do in this situation, what can I do? And of course, the wisdom to know which is which. The wisdom to know the difference. 
There is stuff that Israel can do in this situation. They can turn back to the Lord, and they do. And God shows grace to them. As God is working in times of tragedy. God is working in various places and people. Verses 3 to 4. In various people and places. Uh, he, now the, the narrative sort of moves to the land of Babylon and shows us what God's doing there. A Nebuchadnezzar, this king, he commands Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz is the chief eunuch. Um, if, I always tell kids, if you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your mom and dad, all right? Because I'm not going to explain it to you. And I would say to adults, if you don't know what a eunuch is, Google it, all right? But don't hit images when you, hit, when you Google it. Just, just look up and read about what a eunuch is. Well, this eunuch is in charge of uh, most of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, palace there. And uh, they had this brilliant idea. Actually, it is really, truly brilliant that Babylon had. They took people and they said, we're going to use them for our own nation. We're going to use these people to strengthen our country. They had no time for racism and prejudice. And No, no, we're going to take the best of the best of the people that we conquer and we're going to use them in our own nation. So we take the royal family and the nobility, which means that this line of kings uh, is spared. So the line of kings from David all the way to Jesus doesn't end. You may remember that God promised that uh, David would never cease to have a man on the throne. And then all the way to the line of Jesus, this line is spared. And we see that right here. But then he takes specifically, it says here, youth. And by youth, uh, most commentators agree that this is probably teenagers, young teenagers. Uh, people who have no blemish, good looking, they're skilled, they're wise, they're, no- they're knowledgeable, they're learned, they're competent at different things. And he says, I want you to take these youth, bring them to here into the palace... And we want you to teach them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans, Babylonians, same, same thing. The idea is to assimilate them, to indoctrinate them, and eventually, hopefully, to convert them to the religion of Babylon. Friends, notice, though, that God is at work everywhere. Where is He at work? In this case, miles and miles away, in enemy territory, Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq, Filled with idolatry all around. And God is working out his plan and his purpose there. You say God is not limited to one land, to one building. He is at work everywhere. Who is he at work through? Interestingly enough, not the old rabbis. And not, not the prophets. Like Jeremiah and Ezekiel that we talked about in this case. Not the priests. He's at work in the youth. A new generation that he's raising up to work out his purpose. Teenagers who will be able to maintain biblical wisdom and understand this new culture. Friends, never limit, never limit where and with whom God is working. God is at work everywhere. I like to talk about, here's a little basic systematic theology lesson. The three O's. (laughs) The three O's of God. God is omnipotent. He's omnipotent. He has all power. There's no limit to the power of God. If you say, God can't do that, you haven't understood who God is, right? That's how God is. God is omniscient, omniscient. So think of science as the pursuit of knowledge. God has all knowledge. There is no ignorance of God. He knows all things. And God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. There is no place you can go that God is not there. The most distant galaxy to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, off the coast of Japan, anywhere, God is there. There's no city on this planet that God is not in some way at work. There's no small rural town. There is no country that he is at work. Now, in some places, he's at work in a mighty, powerful floodgate way. And in other times, he's at work in a small trickle. (laughs) 
And I would say when it comes to, to New England, uh, for the most part, it's been a slow trickle for a long time. But if you're seeing what I'm seeing, I'm starting to see that this trickle is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. God is starting to do something pretty neat right here in New England. God can work with anyone. Uh, he can work with the old. Certainly, he can work with the young. You know, sometimes it's a mentality that, well, young people don't care about God. That is a very foolish and naive view of young people. God is the creator of all. He can work in the Jew and in Babylonians, as we learn about this uh, chief eunuch and how God uses him. He's at work at the, in the educated and the not educated. Actually, I think we sometimes have a bias against the educated, right? We think that God is only at work in people who are not educated, and those who are educated, you know, they, they reject God. Not at all. We see in Scripture both. He might be at work in a Peter who has no real formal education, was a fisherman, actually probably owned a, a small business, a fisherman business. He's at work at Paul, one of the most educated men in Israel. There's no discrimination. And friends, what this means, of course, is that God is at work in you. He's at work in your life. Some people ask, you know, might ask, I'm not sure if God is really working in my life. Let me put that issue to rest. He is. <laughs> he is. How do I know that? Because he's at work everywhere and in everyone in some way. I do tend to find that God is far more patient in the way he works than we are. He's far slower, so it seems. And he is more interested in your sanctification than in your success. It's not against success. But he's more interested in your growing in the likeness of Christ than he is in you succeeding. Friends, I would also say, as an application of this here, let's prepare and trust our youth. This is a good warning. This is a good statement for us to, to look to our youth. Again, we can have this attitude towards, the, to, towards young people, to teenagers, and say, I don't really care. They're, they're all rejecting God. They're not interested in the Lord, and I got my own way, and I just want to be comfortable in the way I end my life and, and just keep going. Friends, understand, the day is coming when the world is theirs. That's just the reality. And if you say, friends, it doesn't seem, everyone seems to be, you know, the next generation seems to be rejecting God. That's, that's not the case. Actually, uh, Generation Z, I got a picture of Generation Z. So, uh, do we, we end up getting that? All right, there's Generation Z for, for our church. Uh, so we got, that's our, that's our youth group trip there. So you got, I think you got Silas in there, and Kaylee, Sydney, Isaac, who am I missing? Bunch of, bunch of folks from our church. All of our, or Brianna, all of our teenagers from our church are all in there. And then you got James Lorenzo in the back there too. He's not a teenager, but he's in, uh, he's in physical shape like a teenager. So uh, he's in great shape out there. He's, he's the Iron Man. In fact, I said, if anyone in our church could climb Everest today and actually live, it would be James Lorenzo. He'd be the only one at this point in time. But that's a different subject. So all these teenagers, that's Generation Z. Anyone born after the year 2000 is generally considered Generation Z. Let me tell you some statistics about Generation Z. And uh, these shocked me. I, I don't know if you're a statistics person. Uh, I am. Love statistics. Uh, Generation Z, uh, starting to go to college soon. Um, this is what folks found about Generation Z in studies. They self-identify as being loyal, compassionate, thoughtful, open-minded, responsible, and determined. That's how they define their own generation. They, we found this. Listen to this. A study found that church attendance... Well, let me, let me, start, let me, let me start backwards here. 26% of baby boomers go to church. 21% of Generation X, that's my generation. 18% of millennials, that's the 20-year-olds. You see the, see the trend? 26, 21, 18. Generation Z, at the same age as millennials were at their age and as baby boomers were at their age, 41% go to church. 
That's a huge sociological change. So I'll give you a little bit more here. Uh, research found in 2016, Generation Z youth had lower teen pregnancy rates, less substance abuse, and higher on-time high school graduation rates compared with millennials. The researchers compared teens from 2008 to 14 and found a 40% drop in teen pregnancy, 38% drop in drug and alcohol abuse, a 28% drop in the percentage of teens who did not graduate on time from high school. Friends, is God doing something in the next generation? I think he might be. Before we sit there and say, let's you know, condemn the next generation, perhaps let's pray for them, let's raise them up, let's encourage them, and see what God might do in this next generation. That's God's at work in anyone and anywhere, and then God is at work in surprising circumstances. I love this section, five to seven. Let's see what happens here. Uh, God is w- working in all different and sometimes surprising circumstances. What does he do with these youth? Well, first of all, these youth who are now aliens, uh, they're now foreigners, they're, they're, uh, they're immigrants, uh, now get to eat and drink like kings, <laughs> literally. They get to eat from the king's own table. Uh, they get to eat the king's food. They get to drink the king's uh, wine and all that. Uh, so they are living like kings. They're treated very well. And the idea is to educate them for three years. So they're getting a college education, a three-year college education. And then there's this big test at the end. They have to stand before the king at the end of these three years. Now, who's the king? As I said, he is Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world. He reigned over Babylon for 43 years. Jeremiah calls him the destroyer of nations, and for good reason. He oversaw the destruction of Assyria. That was the former great world power. He controlled Syria. He controlled Phoenicia, Philistia, Ammon, Moab, Judah, and more. Uh, He loved to build great, huge structures. He made the most... um, uh, vast army of slave labor to surround his city with walls that were so thick that chariot races were conducted on the top of the wall, <laughs> enclosing a 50, 50, 56 miles in length, encircling an area of 200 miles. This is a powerful, frightening king, and these youth have to stand before the king of all the world. I, I remember at the end of my, my uh, studies, I had to do an oral exam before my, my mentor, and that was intimidating, to have to defend your thesis. This is even worse. At the end of three years, you've got to now stand before the king whose life, you're, is, your, life, your life is in his hands. And that's when we come to our guy, Daniel, uh, and his three friends. And they're all renamed with foreign names. Uh, their names all give glory to God. Uh, and the new names all give glory to the Babylonian gods, as you might imagine. But notice this, friends. God has raised up Daniel and his three friends. We're going to learn about them too in a shocking way. One day, they're four young, handsome, promising teenagers. <laughs> We're told they're handsome, right? And now, they are at the seat of world power. Now, this could go one of two ways, right? They could go towards compromise and worldliness. They could just say, let's live it up. I mean, we are at the, the, the peak, the pinnacle of this ancient world, and we can do whatever we want. We're literally in the king's palace. And I'm sure that's what many of the teenagers did. Or they could use this opportunity to honor and serve God, who has raised them up and put them there. Let's recognize these situations and seize them. Be ready for them and use them wisely. Joseph in the Bible had a similar situation, raised up as the counselor to Pharaoh. Esther, great Queen Esther, remember she said, uh, they said, it's for such a time as this you've been raised up. The Apostle Paul as well. Martin Luther, again, did not expect himself to be in the place of the Reformation. By the way, this is 500 years since the Reformation. Just happened to be in the right place at the right time. 
as, the, as God put them there. Friends, God is working in all different circumstances. Just remember that, friends, in your own life. You, you never know when lightning strikes. Wednesday we had a lightning storm, right? You never know when lightning is going to strike. All of a sudden, a new job opportunity that you weren't expecting. The death of somebody that you didn't know was happening. You meet a person who changes your life, all under the design of God. Uh, Friends, I've watched this happen in my own life so many times. Uh, I remember when we bought our home. uh, We weren't expecting that at all. Our person raised the rent out of our apartment. We had to get out of the apartment at a certain time. We put in for a housing lottery, and by the grace of God, so many things had to come together for for us to get this home. If we didn't have two kids, we wouldn't have got the home, for example. And if we didn't apply when we did to this specific place, and God brought it all together. Uh, you know, when, when we need something, for example, in my life, I've gotten three cars. People have just given me <laughs> over my life. Three cars. They just said, you need a second car? I'm gonna give, I just feel like the Lord wants me to give you this car. Right when we need them. Uh, becoming the pastor here at First Baptist. That <laughs> uh, was not the plan. That was not the expectation. Uh, first of all, a, a, an associate pastor here uh, left kind of abruptly. Uh, Jim Scafidi and a, and a position opened up for me. I stepped into that and then shortly, uh, well not shortly later, about six years later, the senior pastor here got sick, had to, res- had to retire early. I don't have any control over those things. Uh, ministry in, in Nepal uh, by connecting with Paul Miller. and just, God has a way of giving us different surprising circumstances. It happens with churches. One of the most influential, I think, evangelical churches today is Reformed Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. And the way that happened is a pastor there, Tim Keller, he had a, a small, relatively small church plant there in Manhattan, was faithfully doing things. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 9-11 happened. And after 9-11 happened, people started flocking to come to church. So much so that he had to turn people away and say, we'll do another service later today, but we don't have enough room in this place. And ever since then, they've had thousands of people that have come there, and they've never looked back. Lightning has a way of striking. I think of even just the recent history of our church, you know, this merger with Haverhill Community Church came out of nowhere, in a sense. Adding to our property, you know, just out of nowhere, uh, Habitat for Humanity says, hey, we got a piece of property connecting to your property. We don't need it. We want to give it to you. Couldn't plan that. Recently hiring our business administrator who decides God has put it on his heart to leave his job and come to work for First Baptist Church. <laughs> uh, to make our budget, for example, uh, the, the, the local district court said, we're doing renovations on our parking lot and we, can't, um, we have to park people somewhere. We want to know if we can use your parking lot. We'd be happy to pay you for it. <laughs> These are beyond our control. A financial peace university, uh, Rich and Pam just came to me and said, I, this is something that's been very helpful working in my life. We want to use it. We want to do it for the church. We never know how God works in surprising circumstances. Lightning sometimes strikes. An opportunity to witness to someone the gospel that you didn't expect, that you didn't know was going to be there. An opportunity to serve somebody who's in need and you're in the place to help them. Maybe an opportunity to speak in public that God has given you and you get an opportunity to stand up and say something about the Lord. An opportunity to go on a mission trip that you wouldn't normally have. Just like these four teenagers who did not expect to be at one day at the seat of world power, an opportunity to help not only their own people but to honor God in the way they live. It seems to come out of nowhere so God in his sovereign hand brings it about. Friends, God is at work in any and all situations.
He's at work in tragedy. In fact, he has a special work I think he does in the midst of tragedy, whether that's a national tragedy or a personal tragedy. He has a way of taking great evil and turning it towards good. He's at work in all places. Don't imagine that there is a single place on this planet that he is not at work, and he is at work in all people. And he's at work in sometimes very surprising circumstances. Going forward in the book of Daniel, I think what we'll find is there is a strong application for us that we, in a sense, are aliens, that we, in a sense, are foreigners in a foreign land. We are, as the Bible describes, describes us as citizens of heaven. And friends, one of the things we do here as we gather together is remind one another of our true citizenship. As Ian Duggard says again, we remind one another of our true citizenship when we gather week by week in our homes and in our churches. There we talk of our true homeland and remind one another of heaven. And friends, we have the opportunity as well to, be, to either compromise and be like the world or to be faithful to the Lord. Faithfulness comes from seeing that God is indeed at work. He's at work in the mundane. He's at work in the minutiae. He's at work in the big stuff and tragedies and times of great success. God is at work. Pray with me. Well, our gracious Father, I pray, we pray together, Lord, that we would see your hand at work, whether that's at work in our world and in our nation, whether that's at work in our church family, Lord, and you've been so faithful and so kind to us for so many years, over 250 years. Thank you for your grace, Lord, and certainly at work now, too. Or, Lord, whether that's to see your hand at work in our own personal lives, whatever's going on, even sometimes, Lord, you have a way of meeting us in the darkest and hardest of times and seeing us through them and using it in some way for your glory and for our good. So, Lord, we rejoice that we have a God who is with us. He doesn't promise us perfection in this world, but gives us the hope of eternal life and promises that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Thank you, Father. Continue to bless us. Help us to see your hand at work and continue to be with us as we look at the scriptures, listen carefully to what your spirit is saying to us as a church and to us as individuals and look to grow in the likeness of our Savior in whose name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.